Welcome to Spelunking with Plato, a podcast devoted to conversations about liberal education, hosted by the University of St. Thomas's School of Arts and Sciences. Here, students and faculty are called, through the light of faith in the Catholic intellectual tradition, to ascend from Plato's cave, bringing others with them to a vision of the good and a life of human flourishing. Well, it's a great pleasure uh, to have Sister Albert Marie Sermansky, OP and PhD here. Uh, welcome, Sister. Thank you, good to be here. Um, uh, Sister's a, an Associate Professor of Theology here at the University of St. Thomas. Um, she also teaches at St. Mary's Seminary. Um, you grew up in Canada. Mm-hmm. When was the last time you were back? I guess COVID has prevented that. Yeah, maybe a year and a half ago because of COVID, okay. yeah. Um, multiple degrees from Ave Maria, um, mm-hmm. but, and you taught there as well. Um, picking up degrees and honors along the way. And I guess the Dominicans, um, they opened a house here in Houston, which brought you here. That's right. And, um, and you've been teaching at UST since then, um, both teaching under, you know, core courses, but what, as well as upper division courses, um, both in theology, but then also kind of on the edge of theology and, um, and then at the seminary too. Um, you're a scholar of St. Albert the Great, but, you, but you've written on a lot of other things too. That's right, yes. Yeah. And one of the courses you've, you've taught that I, I'm very interested in um, is a kind of theology of liberal learning, um, uh, theology of the liberal arts. And you've, there's some interesting um, authors in there that I'd like for us to talk about. Uh, they're on the syllabus. Um, one of the things we, we talked about when we got together last time um, was the, the idea of um, the classroom as a sacred space. Yes. Um, and I, I shared with you a couple stories that illustrate the extreme form of that, taking it very sacramentally, but also kind of dismissing it as just being not of much much significance. Could you say a bit about this idea of, of, of the classroom as a sacred space? Definitely. And last time we spoke, you even went to the extreme of saying the classroom is a sacrament, which as a sacramental theologian, you always like it when someone says something is a sacrament or something is like a sacrament, because then you have sort of your whole range of what, well, what, is, what is a sacrament, what isn't a sacrament, yeah, so to let's sort of divide it and take it down, divide it and take it down to the details to understand. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, was, it was interesting because I've thought about the classroom before as sort of a place where something holy and beautiful takes place, but I hadn't actually asked that question, well, is, is a classroom a sacrament, right? And of course, the, the first scholastic answer is, well, no, it's not, it's not, not directly a sacrament. Said contra. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> Instituted by Christ. Well, Christ did, was a teacher, so it's actually, again, it's really interesting just to take definitions and hold, sure. hold them up against things. I've been formed by St. Albert's theology yeah. too much. Um, Sacrament classroom instituted by Christ, not directly, but Christ is a teacher. So that is something actually to keep in mind that imparting truth is an activity in which we imitate Christ. Um, I mean, when St. Augustine talks about teaching, he'll say Christ is the teacher who teaches everything. Perhaps there's a little bit of illuminationism in, in his way of thinking about it, but the sense that if Christ is a word through whom the world was created, when you come to understand anything you come to understand something, something about God um, more, and also the sense that your reason is a participation in God's creative reason. So just knowing you, you do that with, with, with the Lord. Um, but then, of course, where, the, where it falls down is a classical definition of a sacrament that it g- gives grace, ex opere operato, sort of instrumental 
giving of grace, right? We don't necessarily have that. But it does raise the question, is the sacrament a place of grace? Sure, maybe it doesn't give grace through the immediate action of Christ through the physical thing, the way that, the way that a sacrament does. But a sacrament, a classroom is in some cases, can be, can be a place of grace, you know, in a couple different ways. It's a place of discussion and encounter, right? And a sacrament is a place of encounter with Christ. Of course, in a classroom, it's not always directly encountering Christ. Often, I mean, I guess I'm theology, so in theology, right. you're always doing some sort of, but just an encounter with another person and with another reality outside of yourself is a type of gift, always. Right. And, and they're, they're, so in a sense, you know, it, it, it doesn't do its work automatically. The student has to cooperate with what's being given. Right, right. Which um, is, I mean, and in the formal sacraments, you have to cooperate, but it's always given. And in a classroom, you have to put a little bit more, a little bit more. It's kind more of Pelagian. <laughs> yeah, I think that's okay, though. I think that's okay because a sacrament, I mean, a classroom is naturally, you yeah. know, acquiring natural knowledge. Yeah. So okay. And that's okay, maybe so. a Pelagian perspective, yeah. not Pelagian perspective, but model, a Pelagian yeah. model of receiving okay. might, might fit a classroom. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. interesting. Well, and it's, it, and it's potentially transformative. The classroom is potentially transformative. Absolutely, um, absolutely. Yeah. That you, you bring what you are, just like you do to the sacraments, and hopefully encounter something more than yourself and outside of yourself that is going to actually change you. Right, Yeah. right. So it's not a sacrament, um, is, right. is, but could we say that there's a sacramental quality or aspect or parallel? Absolutely, absolutely, yes. Although there, again, so many, so many interesting things related to sacramental theology. In a sacrament, you also have a sign, right? In right. the classroom, you have discourse, you have knowledge, you have information. It's not quite as sort of visible, sensible aspect, which sacraments have. I mean, I guess sometimes you try and put an image on the PowerPoint that will have an emotional <laughs> impact that will help this, that will fit with the, with the, with what's being taught. But that's sort of a, the, the bottom 2% right. of the importance of what's going on in the classroom. Well, there can be yeah. purgation and suffering as well. Yes. You know, maybe a sacrament is so the classroom is a penance, is a penitential oh, exercise. <laughs> For the teacher and maybe, the student. Maybe, maybe there, there might, there might be something there, but at least in a classroom, you, you do you have more more than one person facing each other, so th there's at least some sort of sign of communion, of sharing. So there there is some sort of sign of openness to something beyond yourself. So there there's a, there there is a symbol in a classroom as well, I think. Yeah, and I think yeah. the, the examples I give you is I you know I've I've heard I've never witnessed, but I you know I've heard of, of students um, uh, who um, may um, you know, may genuflect before entering a classroom in a, in a kind of um, uh, taking something, taking that kind of view to an extreme, right? Um, and then there are other students who might treat the classroom and the work they do there as simply being on par with doing their laundry. It's just part of the collegiate life. And it's, it's, and yet my sense is you would, you would navigate between those two extremes, between a kind of pietistic dismissal and then the, the almost uh, um, sacrilegious, if you will, extreme of, 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 uh, though it is inspiring that students would, would be so serious in their studies that they might do something like that. Yeah, what yeah. would you say? Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, I wouldn't genuflect before the classroom as a classroom. Right. But on the other hand, it's not uncommon to, 
to start class with with a prayer, with an invocation right. of the presence of God. So God isn't the classroom, but asking the Lord to, you know, to be there and bring the Spirit in. And I mean, definitely what takes place in the classroom is on a different level than sort of doing your laundry or, or you know, n- nourishing yourself. I mean, in one sense, you come, you know, you're, hopefully you're going to do your laundry all your life. You come to the university particularly for that purpose of encountering truth, learning, learning from others. Right. And, and like I said before, any encounter with reality is in some way an encounter with God. And not meaning that in a pantheistic way that God is the text, but that if God's mind is the creative source of the world, and that's that's something Aquinas and Albert would would both agree on. When you come to to know the world, you in a way share God's thoughts and, and come closer to God in that way. Yeah. Well, yeah. And, and, um, your work uh, on on Saint Albert is um, uh, about the Eucharist, right? So, yes. So yes. You, um, and you you look at a number of different themes. When I look across mm-hmm. your various writings, you know there there are themes in there about joy, about beauty, um, and of course there's the central idea of of of, of eating, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, are there parallels here with the intellectual life, the academic life? Um, you know, in what way? You know, often when we think of um, I'm thinking of you know the cave. Um, you know, you, you're you're just you're ascending from the cave of darkness and shadows to, for a vision of, of in the light of the good. Um, that's all a very much a, 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 a visual or vision-driven idea. Um, right. But but I'm wondering to what extent is 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 the work we do in the classroom, liberal education, is it more like a a meal? Is is there is there something that we become we become united with what we're what we're studying? Are there aspects that would illuminate the process of liberal education, the act of liberal education that we can learn from from that part of sacramental theology? Yeah, I mean, definitely the idea of sort of nourishing, nourishing the mind. Yeah, there's, there's the theme of eating is so strong in Albert's sacramental theology, partly simply because he has such a respect for the meaning of the symbolize, the symbolism of the sacraments. So right. Christ comes to us in the Eucharist, looking like food and what does that what does that teach us but albert there's there's actually one place in his de corpore domine where he gives this long analogy between the process of eating and the process of receiving the eucharist and it's it's something that doesn't quite appeal to our sensibilities nowadays but mm. but he starts off with sort of um like when you eat you chew and you 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 get the taste and you you know and and he actually compares that to prayer and meditation mm. you know that that you should be doing to prepare yourself for receiving the Eucharist that you know meditation you take in the idea and you you know chew it and you 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 taste it and you think through it and you sort of see what you think about it and then you swallow it and you're nourished by it and he sort of there's that when we receive the Eucharist with our body he wants our minds also to be sort of Right. chewing over the ideas and thinking through them and appreciating them. So they're in the, I guess in the analogy of eating, you have both the tasting and appreciating and also the being made stronger. Mm. And those are, those are two things that are important in the classroom, right? You're working with and imparting knowledge, but there's that question, you know, we have so much information nowadays. Right. There's that question, why do I want this knowledge? And sort of what's tasty about it, what's 
beautiful and also in what way does it does it strengthen me are good questions to ask I actually I mean when I teach core courses I'll ask students to ask those questions right. so I'll yeah. tell them you know when I teach sacred scripture I'm teaching what I believe is the saving word of God and there's you know it's worth knowing for this reason but you all come from different backgrounds so you need to ask yourself in order to really you know ask yourself how is this valuable? How will this strengthen me? And not necessarily in a relativistic way, but there's different goods in that process of learning and which ones are tasty to you, you know, you know, at this, at this moment. And I'm hoping they'll come to taste the, you know, the, the saving truth of God present in it. But in any case, the, the wisdom, the ideas, the, the ancient cultural teachings, the depiction of what it means to live a just life and the peace of that. There's things, different different spices, you could say, that, that hopefully different students can taste and appreciate. Well, it's a banquet, right? It's a banquet. Yeah, exactly. A feast. Exactly. Um, which leads in a lot of directions, including Joseph Pieper. And maybe we can talk about him. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I'm thinking about, you know, the the, uh, the different images for heaven. Uh, the, excuse me. The three of the most common ones um, are um, the banquet, Right, the, the wedding feast, yes. uh, a heavenly feast, the city, and then the beatific vision. Right, so you kind of yes. think about liberal learning and are there analogs in that area? Right, there's the, the vision of the good, but there's also this feast that you're describing. Yes, um, yeah, and uh, that's yeah, that, that's that's interesting. Well, you know, um, I've I've often seen uh, the the film Babette's Feast used as a way to begin to introduce students to liberal learning. This idea that. Um, you know, you kind of. In, I'm going to grossly oversimplify the film, but but there's this mm-hmm. sense in which you can have a very um, utilitarian view of the material world. You know, a very dull, drab, non-celebratory um, approach to meeting one's basic needs. And then there's a higher approach. There's a a more festive, a more um, uh, joy-filled approach. And and sometimes it's worth setting aside the greatest resources for. I mean, if you think about what we do here, I mean, for four years, they're setting aside enormous amounts of time and energy mm-hmm. to pursue these things. It's, um, it would be very easy to step aside, so that's just a complete waste. But that's a very limited view and a very, I think, a wrong view. Um, but the idea of a feast of the classroom, a feast... Um, but then, as I said, that goes to Pieper. And you, you teach some Pieper, I think, in this introduction to, to liberal learning, uh, theology and the liberal arts. Can yes, you say a bit about yeah. Pieper's contribution? To, to liberal learning and, and you know what do you take what can we take away from 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 Pieper? Yeah, I mean there's a lot in his corpus. We particularly in my class read his book Leisure: The Basis of Culture, and partly to ask this sort of compare a utilitarian view of study and knowledge and work, and to bring in this idea of leisure of um, and leisure not just as resting so that you can right. work more but the sense of, of contemplating that what do we work for? What ultimately does it mean to be human? What are these, these goods? And he includes religious celebration among authentic expressions of leisure as well as sort of philosophy, being with others, sort of this, this vision of understanding the world. So in the classroom, we look at that in order to sort of ask the students with their different majors, where, where does it fit, right? right. You want to be in business and you want to make a lot of money, but then what, what are the human goods? What does it mean to be human? How do you understand what the purpose of life is, I guess? And we also look at his text because of his comparison between um, those two activities of the mind. He calls ratio and intellectus. Because right. 
you have students like, well, actually studying is a lot of work. What do you mean <laughs> studying <laughs> th th this vision of leisure? That's not what I'm doing. I'm writing papers, right? So, right. so and th they always can in whatever discipline they've been working when you sort of that ratio, that activity of reasoning and analyzing and working. And then you come to that intellectus, to that contemplation, that moment of deeper insight that, that is joy-filled and can sort of gives you deeper understanding of reality. And they can always point to moments of that in their discipline and sort of recognize, okay, intellectual work is work. But we do it to, to see, to understand, and to rejoice in that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think it's so interesting that you have that woven into that course where students can, mm -hmm. can um, it's a very much a deep uh, meditation on liberal learning and um, raises um, the level of, of awareness of what they're doing um, yes. in terms of their education, but then also give, you give them a chance to, to pull, pull these, these together. Um, and I think he brings out in that text, scole, you know, the, the, the root word for leisure and, and, and school are, are the same. And I, I've had this yes. experience where students go, you've got to be kidding me. You're working me to death on this course. <laughs> this, yes. is, this is supposed to be leisure. <laughs> so, um, so uh, but, but do you find the students are open to this? Are they open to the idea that there's a higher kind of human activity that is, is represented by intellectus? They are. And like I said, I don't just ask them to believe me or to believe Joseph Pieper. We kind of stop and we'll, we'll think in your own experience. Right? Right. Think where have you found this moment of contemplation and appreciation and joy in your major or in something else you've studied where you just, oh, I see the world more deeply and rejoice in that. And, and students get it. They've, they've experienced it. And I'm, when I taught that course, it was juniors and seniors. So by the time you're a junior, senior at USD, you've had moments of true yeah, leisure and contemplation. Yeah, so. <laughs> well, uh, yeah. Caffeinated-induced. Uh, caffeine that's um, right. Well, and, and that's, that is such a rich text. Um, and he, mm -hmm. he also weaves in there... Um, you know, he weaves in there things about beauty because you know he was a philosopher. We think of him mm -hmm. as a, a Thomist or a, a, a Platonist who was also a Thomist. It's hard to kind of pin him down sometimes, but mm -hmm. um, he he was also a painter, I guess. I didn't um, realize that. And um, so there's a fair amount in there about hmm. about about beauty. Um, can you say something about that? Does beauty have a role in this 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 work of liberal learning? I think it definitely does. I mean, beauty. Beauty is not as difficult to perceive as the ordered intelligibility of some other, of some of the, the work of study. So beauty gives us a often fairly an easier moment in which we recognize or see something outside of ourselves. There's a certain order and harmony and sometimes vibrancy and and color and often the meaning. It it sort of gives us a new insight into a particular reality. That, that's also a moment of joy. So beauty, almost, again, almost everyone has encountered that moment of contemplation of beauty in their life, and it sort of helps to give a model for or a glimpse into what contemplation of truth and the beauty of meaning also gives us. Right. Yeah, yeah. and I think, I think one of the interesting things is, you know, this idea, again, that one of the images for learning is this is the act of seeing of the act of seeing reality mm -hmm. um, yeah. and, and I've, I've seen that in, I've seen um, that students who can learn to contemplate beauty whether it be musical beauty or um, the habits that are involved in, in going to an art gallery and um, patiently ob observing and receiving the images that they're encountering mm -hmm. but also going to a concert and, and listening to a symphony or a string quartet 
that slowing down um, mm-hmm. and cultivating the habits of receptivity, those can be transferred to the classroom. And um, so there are these interesting, that, that, that experience of the beauty, right? Of the, yeah. the parts in the whole. Uh, yes. And, uh, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's interesting. Are there, there are other authors you teach in that course. Uh, I believe McIntyre gets some attention. Um, are there other, other authors that you would recommend that people who are interested in, in exploring liberal learning should look at? And, and maybe even McIntyre in particular, what, is, what does he bring to this question? There, there's this book, I believe, God, Universities, and Philosophy that, that you, you use. Yes. So in that book, we're particularly trying to get some philosophical ideas. We don't read the whole thing, although it's good. That's just always a problem. Sure, you can't read right? it all. Yeah. Right? There's always more. I think in that one, the part we particularly read is his analysis of Thomas's thought on actually virtue and moral law and how okay. that ties into the idea of liberal learning, the vision of an ordered whole and actually conforming our life to that ordered whole. Not, mm. not Law not simply as authority, like, oh, I have to do it because someone told me to do it, but law as recognizing an order and a beauty and a life lived a certain way and, and choosing to follow that. And I mean, I think there's some of that in various disciplines, making beautiful art, right. making beautiful architecture, um, but also that that transfers into our lives as well. And McIntyre has a lot more, but that's that's the piece we sort of particularly sure. draw on. Yeah. Are you suggesting there might be a relationship between the is and the ought? Yes. Someone called yes. the David Hume Society. <laughs> we have a violation. Yeah, so it's, and that's one of McIntyre's big things, right? Um, mm-hmm. So um, the ship captain, you know, as a ship captain, is not supposed to run the ship into an iceberg, right? Right. Um, and uh, are students receptive to this idea, or have they, have they, are they all sort of proto-Humean uh, from their upbringing? No, and again, they've they've had their ethics course by that time, so okay. maybe there's been some some receptivity there. But the idea that I find in our students there's a strong desire to be a morally good person, like that okay. that that's there, and that that requires a certain discipline and living in a certain way it is something I find our students tend to be fairly open to. Yeah, that's interesting. Well, um, so I think you you've. We also done a bit of work on um, Marian topics, a little bit. A little bit, yes. A little yes. bit. Um, yes. So I, I asked you in the past about um, uh, about uh, Albert the Great, and if he were to found a university, what that would look like. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also thinking about John Paul II's um, uh, letter to women and his discussion of the feminine genius and Our Lady. Mm-hmm. And would are there resources there that we can retrieve for liberal learning? Um, through kind of a Marian spirit of liberal learning um, or something from, from John Paul II's teachings there or your experience with being in, in, a, in a, a community of women uh, devoted to learning and teaching. Yeah, yeah, there, there's a lot there. I mean, we look at Mary, first of all, as someone who is receptive in, a, in an active way, right? The idea that the ultimate reality is not me. The ultimate reality is something right. outside of myself. Right, and you have to bring that to to any liberal subject, even even apart from directly thinking about God. But coming to any subject, there's knowledge, there's a reality outside of myself that I want to to take in and be conformed to. So I think Mary is a model there. Um, I mean, John Paul II's you know letter on women has a lot of really beautiful things in it. Just the emphasis that women have a role in the public life, have a role in academic life, 
and then sort of interesting insights into tendencies that women tend to have, right? You can't say all women right. are like this, sure. all, all women are, but that tendency to be attentive to the human, to the personal, to the development of those mm. who are in your care. Um, I think those, those can be brought to the classroom by women in particular. Yeah. yeah, well, it's funny that two of those things that um, uh, you mentioned um, sort of an act of receptivity, and that sounds yeah. a lot like Pieper's understanding of contemplation. Yes, it would. Um, I don't think he brings up Mary often in his work, no. but, but it really, you could draw a direct, you could draw a direct line to, yeah. to that, yeah. Uh, my students would often try to, you know, talk about what, what is he talking about in contemplation, and we, we would pivot between an act of receptivity and a receptive activity. You know, it's not, a, it's not an right. absolute passivity. No, then you're asleep. Um, and, uh, but, and, and the idea that it's, it's open to reality, right? So that if, right. you know, and if prudence is, is sort of an, an, an openness and an acceptance of reality and then a, 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 the movement of the will to, to act in accord with reality, mm -hmm. you can see the moral virtue and the intellectual virtue really um, yes. um, coming yes. together. Um, and then also, I think about the the, the emphasis on the on the person. Um, that's mm -hmm. very much tied up with John Paul II's personalism. You know, the education should begin with um, with the human person. And I believe we have a course here uh, devoted to that question: the philosophy of the human person. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And, uh, and th that is something it's important to keep in mind when teaching. I know I loved when I taught at Ave Maria. I really love teaching here. But the students have different backgrounds, and right. I, I shape similar courses somewhat differently based right. on the different student different student body and I'll even in a particular class of students sort of shape some of the discussion some of the lecture based on this particular group of students what their particular concerns are although that's one of the challenges with the online teaching because right. it's harder to see you don't see the faces the same way there's a right. read in the faces the particular points you need to hit on or where you particularly need to it's one of, it is one of the challenges with the online teaching to shape it according to the needs of those particular persons yeah yeah but we would so that but the, would you concur with jump on the second the, the idea that the human person should be at the center of of how we begin or would should we begin with metaphysics what's what's the yeah i'm not so it I guess there's a question. I don't think you necessarily need to start by talking about the human person, but you're always teaching a person, right? right? I mean, right. I did some educational theory classes at the, you know, before before I started teaching, and you know, you, if I was just reciting the truths, I can do that by myself or in the chapel. But in the classroom, you need to speak in a way that these these people right. are able to. So I guess. I guess it's a question, would you serve these people best by first starting with metaphysics or do they need, does their interest need to be caught by being told how this will benefit them and starting with them? Right. Um, I mean, personal random judgment metaphysics are difficult. So if you're going to start with them, you better do it in a very simple way. You're going to lose people. <laughs> but yeah. but I'm not, I don't teach a metaphysics course, so I'm not sure. an expert on yeah. how... Can you teach metaphysics well to freshmen, or should that come after some some initiation into sort of philosophical thought and categories and discourse? That, that was very yeah. uh, that was a very uh, scholastic treatment of, of that question. Okay. <laughs> very yeah. dialectical. That's very uh, well. And, and the idea that you would you yeah you start with the per, for liberal learning we start where they are 
right? And different right. audiences are going to, we, we have to, and, and we want to engage them. And, and there's, there's Absolutely. Fun, something fundamentally yeah. dialogical about this, right? Um, yes. And, yes. Um, and we see that exemplified in, in Thomas's and in Albert's work. Right. Absolutely. With um, the questions, the objections, the answers. Yeah, there's fundamentally yeah. you begin where the people are, and you you enter into dialogue, and you give the best arguments for the people who oppose you, and then you you bring forward um, the truth of, of the matter as, as you understand it. Um, yeah. That's a very respectful approach to education as well. Uh, and, uh, yes, yeah. and and sometimes in the classroom that looks like discussion. Sometimes in the classroom it looks more like lecture, but then there's space for written response, the students reading, digesting, and, yeah. and giving back. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's great. Yeah. That's great. And um, so I, 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 I'm really grateful for this conversation. This is really interesting. And, you know, the, this question of the classroom being a place that's set apart um, and in what ways. Mm-hmm. And um, it seems like the cause of liberal learning will be greatly, um, greatly bolstered if we can help our students come to see it as something special, something unique. It's not, not on par with everything else. Um, but to, we have to do that you know, in creative ways, depending on who we're, who we're teaching. So it's a great, it's great. I've learned a lot from this conversation. So it's great to have you here with us. And um, I'm, I'm grateful for your time. Um, do you want to say a bit about, uh, um, you know, any books, any work you've worked, anything you've written, any works you've, you've produced? You know, we, we've talked about your work on, on St. Albert. Are there other, other mm-hmm. things that you've written that maybe uh, our listeners might be interested in exploring? So some, some different things. I have an article in Logos magazine comparing St. Therese of Lisieux and Elizabeth Johnson sort of on the question of the feminine genius, to, okay. use, to use John Paul II's term, and places where they diverge in their understanding of where, where you start in theology. Do you start with God or do you start with the woman, right? And, right. But also sort of some interesting similarities they see in what women tend to bring as particular strengths in the way in which they investigate okay. and teach. I think that, that's a accessible and, and right. interesting, interesting. And that's in Logos. Yeah, Logos. Yes. How, how, how recently was that published? You know? Within the last couple of years, okay. I don't. So that's okay. So our, 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 with, it, we have this thing called the internet. So we, we yeah, can type, exactly. type in your name, and logos. There's and, almost and my name. My last name, Sermansky, is pretty yeah, rare. So okay. it's easy That'll to find good. anything That'll connected to me and my immediate family with that. So, yeah. 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 Well, thank you for all that you do at the university and all that you give to our students and um, and being a, a wonderful colleague. And uh, I hope we can have additional conversations in the future. I hope so. Uh, okay. All right. Take care. Thank you.